0: Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Psalm 42 this morning. This is the second week of a 14-week series on the heart of worship. Last week we began at Psalm 100 and we saw that worship matters to God. That God cares not only that we worship Him, but reveals to us how we should worship Him. Today we want to look at Psalm 42 and Psalm 42 is all about desire is at the heart of our worship. In fact, desire is at the heart of true worship. Would you please follow along with me as I read Psalm 42 this morning? And I want to begin also with sort of the the title. It is Psalm 42 that was given to the music director The worship leader, the Nicole of the church, a well written song by the Korahites. The Korahites, they were the temple worship team. And this was written by one of the temple worship team people who, at this point, as we're going to see, for some reason, we don't know why, could not participate in the worship that. They were so used to doing and that they were so longing for. So notice the words, beginning in verse 1. As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, for the living God. I say, when will I be able to go and appear in God's presence? I cannot eat. I, I weep day and night. All day long they say to me, where is your God? I will remember and weep, for I was once walking along with the great throng to the temple of God, shouting and giving thanks along with the crowd as we celebrated the holy festival. Why are you depressed, O my soul? Why are you upset? Wait for God, for I will again give thanks to my God for his saving intervention." I am depressed, so I will pray to you while I am trapped here in the region of the upper Jordan from Hermon, from Mount Mizra. One deep stream calls out to another at the sound of your waterfalls. All your billows and waves overwhelm me. By day, the Lord decrees his loyal love, and by night he gives me a song, a prayer to the living God. I will pray to God, my high ridge, Why do you ignore me? Why must I walk around mourning because my enemies oppress me? My enemies' taunts cut into me to the bone. And they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you so depressed, O my soul? Why are you so upset? Wait for God, for I will again give thanks to my God for his saving intervention. There's much we can learn from this psalm that was obviously (laughs) the overflow of a person's heart. This is certainly not from their head. This is from their heart. But again, this is a series about worship, so I want to concentrate there. And I want to go back to the fact that this was written by one of the Korahites, one of the temple worship team members. And for some reason, as we learn, up in verse 6, they were very far away from Jerusalem at this time and very far away from the temple and being able to be part of the temple worship team and to participate in the public worship of God. We don't know why. But I do want us to establish this fact. Because of who they were, Normally, when the doors of the temple were open, when the doors of God's house were open, they were there. And and they had established in their life a, a faithfulness, a discipline to being in the house of God and worshiping God with God's people. And that not only then was a major part and priority of their life, But obviously, too, they were someone that did not just do worship there in the house of God, but somebody who had established personal worship in their own life. They worshiped God throughout the week, throughout their day. And this is important here for this reason. As you read along with me, this psalmist, whoever it is, is going through some real trying time some real deep waters. In fact, they use the word depressed. They're not necessarily in a great place. But here's what we see happening in this song: Their worship, their faithfulness to the house of God, to worship God with God's people, and their faithfulness in being a personal worshiper of God is enabling them, even at this point, to navigate the realities of life. Because, see, if you and I are not regular worshipers, If we have not built into our life the discipline and the faithfulness to be in God's house when the doors are open on a regular basis and worship God here and then take that outside to our everyday lives, then when the realities of life hit and they will come, it's not a matter of if trials come, it's not a matter of if difficult, challenging days come for any of us and each of us, it's when they come we will be able to more navigate those days out of our worship lifestyle. In fact, the prophet Habakkuk says these words, the sovereign Lord is the source of my strength. He gives me the agility of the deer and he enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. I love that. Because sometimes the terrain of our lives is rugged. (laughs) It's not easy. And you and I all know this, living in the world that we do today, and we've talked about this for several weeks now, that we are living in a world, in a culture, in a society where people, because they have disconnected from God or they've disregarded God in their life and they have no real worship of God on a regular basis, whether it be in a house of God where they can experience God's presence or outside in their own personal lives. And when the reality and the hard times and the rugged terrain hits their life, they do not know how to deal with it or how to cope with it. And so they turn to other coping mechanisms that only either destroy themselves or destroy others around them or they get to the place where they literally take their own life because they do not have the capacity within themselves based on a lack of worship in their life in a regular basis of knowing how because as we've seen from psalm 42 Even for those who regularly worship God in his house, and for those that worship God on a personal level outside, it's still tough at times. But here's what I want us to see this morning. Before we look at the passion of the psalmist, which is really the heart of this message, because this message is all about desire, is at the heart of true worship that I want us to see and walk through the processing, is how I sort of framed it, the processing of the psalmist here. Because all of us, when when we are in certain situations, we talk to ourselves, right? We might not admit that we're doing it, you know. But we all go through a process. We all talk to ourselves when we go through things, and especially when we're going through rugged terrain difficult, trying circumstances. And, and you'll notice the psalmist begins to do this, and we'll come back to this a little bit later in verse 2 when he says, when will I be able to get back to the Lord's house? I weep. I can't even eat And notice he says, these people around me that don't know God, that aren't connected to God, they keep taunting me. In fact, notice in verse 10, he literally uses the word taunts. My enemies are constantly taunting me because they see that things aren't going well for me and that, that... I'm not really where I want to be right now. I'd rather be back in Jerusalem as part of the temple worship team. Worshiping, for some reason, we're going to get to that in a minute. I'm trapped up here, but first I want us to look at the taunts of those that don't know God. You see, that, that's what happens, doesn't it? Whenever someone knows that we're a Christian, and obviously someone knew that this person was a God follower, That's important. They didn't keep that private to themselves. It was very evident, and we don't know exactly why, to those around them that they were a God follower, that they were a God worshiper, so that when things didn't begin to go their way, guess what happened? Where's your God? You know, what good is it to be a Christian? You have the same trials and tribulations the rest of us has. I thought God, you know, kept you from all of that, which that's not biblical. There's nothing in the Bible about just because we're a God follower means that everything's going to go easy for us or well for us. We're going to have the same trials and tribulations that everybody does, but we've got God with us through all of those. That's the difference. That's the difference. But you and I all know that when there are those in our life that don't know God, and things begin to go maybe bad for us, they're going to make a comment about it. How do we we handle that? How do we process that? And this was bothering this psalmist. In fact, he even says in verse 10, they keep taunting me and it's cutting me into the bone because I know that you are alive, God, and I know that you love me. And I know that you're with me, but I keep hearing their voices in my head. And he has to deal with that. The taunts of God's enemies. The the taunts of those that don't know God when things are not going well for him. He has to go through all that. Why is your God allowing that to happen? If God really loved you, would he let that happen to you? You know, all those things... He's having to process right now. So it's not just the taunts that's happening around the psalmist during this time. It's his being or feeling like he's being trapped. Verse 6. I am trapped here in the region of the upper Jordan. And the reason why the geography here is important is because he's basically saying Israel, you know, if you know the shape of Israel and Jerusalem is sort of down here, he says, I'm way up here, way far away from the house of God and way far away from where I'm used to being every week and every day and I, I can't be part of the worship team right now and all of this. And he says, I feel trapped. And the reason I want to bring that out today about what's going around the psalmist is because that's really what's leading to his notice Verse 6, depression. Because normally that's one of the biggest things that leads to our depression in life is when we feel trapped. If you and I feel trapped in something, trapped by something, trapped by someone, it can and many times leads to what you and I would call depression or discouragement. Why? Because again, even in the midst of the word depression is the word pressed. And depression many times comes from where you and I feel like there's outside forces, whatever they are, that are pressing in against us, sort of squeezing us. And again, if you and I do not develop the discipline of personal worship in our life and and the discipline of being in the house of God to worship him with God's people, it's going to be really, really hard to sort of push the taunts of God's enemies and and the feelings of depression and discouragement and feeling trapped away I will not have the internal strength to be able to navigate that kind of rugged terrain and that's why God calls us to be worshipers because it is through our worship lifestyle that we gain a strength that we gain a resilience that we gain a uh, a tenacity, if you will, a spiritual tenacity, and endurance and stamina and strength to be able to negotiate the rugged terrain through what the Lord has built into our life through our worship lifestyle. Amen. And you say, well, it doesn't sound like this is helping him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Keep looking at this passage with me. Because notice what the psalmist does here. He doesn't surrender like sometimes we do, to our feelings of discouragement and depression. He doesn't do that. Did you note that? He has the strength to challenge his self-talk, to challenge his feelings, and to sort of push back against them. Notice what he says in verse 5 and also verse 11. He says, why are you depressed, O my soul? Why are you upset? You see, he's not willing to settle of just being discouraged and depressed and letting the the feelings of being trapped and and the taunts of God's enemy to just sort of wash over him and he has no recourse. No, no, he's talking to himself, he's processing here and he keeps challenging his own thoughts and his own self-talk by saying, why am I in this place? And, And this is not where I'm going to land. In fact, as he processes, notice where he lands. He doesn't land on, I'm going to stay in the land of depression and discouragement. No. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait for God, verse 5. I'm going to wait for God, verse 11. The word wait simply means to have hope in God, it means to look to God in expectation. It means knowing that that, that I, I'm not gonna keep fretting and and being you know so worked up and lathered up over the things that I can't control for whatever reason. If, if I could, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be going through this. But for whatever reason, I'm trapped up here and I cannot get out. I cannot get back. But this is out of my control. So I'm just going to keep looking to the Lord. I know God's going to show up. I know he's going to give me you know, what I need through this. He's either going to calm the storm around me or he's going to calm the heart of his child and he's going to put me literally in the midst of the eye of the storm that's all around me. But I'm going to keep looking to God. Amen. And he only gets there, folks and friends. He only gets to that place because he was and he is. A person who's developed a lifestyle of worship, you see. And we know that because of the other things he says here. In fact, notice his hope in verse 5 and verse 11. He repeats it twice. He says, I will again give thanks to God for his saving intervention. I will again give thanks. In fact, not that you can take time to do it right now, but At least I hope you don't. I hope you hang in there with me. But in Psalm 43, it's just a continuation of Psalm 42. And he actually says, I know I'm going to get back to the temple. I'm going to be part of the worship team again. I'm going to get a chance to praise God with my instrument, which is the harp. And and I know that's going to happen. I've got that hope that comes from God. I don't like where I'm at right now. I wish I could change it, but I can't. But I'm going to land on hope. I'm not going to stay in the land." depression. Amen. That's the process. Now here's the thing that you and I can learn from that. That means that even spiritual people, even people who have a lifestyle of worship are not ever immune from the feelings of feeling trapped or being depressed or being discouraged. That's part of being human. And you and I It doesn't matter how close we are to the Lord and how great uh, of our faithful, of a worshiper we are. We're all going to have those battles at times. We're all going to have those times of processing and that self-talk because, again, life is going to come at us at times, and there's going to be rugged terrain, and there's going to be times. But but the key to this is, as you see it here, is he doesn't stay in the land of discouragement and depression. It's a place that he visits But because he has the wherewithal and the strength from within himself, he's able to challenge his own thoughts, challenge his own thinking, challenge his own words that he's telling himself, and he's able to land on, I'm going to wait for God. God's going to show up for me. I'm going to look to God for expect, with expectation. I know God's not going to leave me here. I know better days are coming. That's where he lands, and that's where you and I need to land as well. Amen to that. That's where we need to land as well. Now, also, before we get to the passion of the psalmist, I want us to see the provision of the Lord at this point, too. Not just the processing of the psalmist that he's went through, but the provision of the Lord in verse 8. Because what I want us to see, and this is very important, is it's not that God has cut himself off from this psalmist. It's not that he's not experiencing, even in private, even while he's trapped up there, way away from where he wants to be, that somehow he's not connected to God or that God is not reaching out to him and ministering to him and comforting him and strengthening him notice what he says in verse 8 by day the Lord decrees his loyal love I love that the word decree literally means commands get that God is commanding his love to reach to this guy you know that God does that for us He literally commands his love to reach out to us and wrap around us. That's an amazing God that does that. See, even his love is under his command, you see. And then, because obviously being in the situation he's in sounds a lot like he's probably alone, doesn't have his normal support group around him at this point while he's trapped up there, And then there's nighttime and things always seem a little bit more daunting and intimidating and all of that at night, doesn't it? Notice how God shows up at night in a special way. And by night, God, you give me a song. See, he's experiencing the presence of God even while he's trapped up there, just like you and I do. God never stops loving us, never stops reaching into our lives, never stops ministering to us. And then he says, I'm even going to turn this song that you're giving me at night into a prayer to you, to the living God. And that's very important that he ends verse 8 by reminding us that his God and our God is very much alive. Because remember, he's saying, I have to deal with all these taunts of God's enemies who are saying, where is your God? Your God's dead. If if God was alive or if God was, you know, all this, then things would be different all that. He said, no, I know, God, you are very much alive. I'm experiencing your reality while I'm here. I just don't want to be going through this right now. And I'm having to battle these feelings of discouragement and depression and feeling trapped. But I'm not going to stay in that land. I'm going to land on waiting on you. I'm going to land on looking on you because I am realizing something, that my lifestyle of worship, both in the house of God and for me personally, has put me in a place where I even have the strength and the wherewithal and the ability and the capacity to be able to process this way to be able to push back the feelings of discouragement and depression, to be able to challenge my own self-talk and my own self-doubt and all these things that we tell ourselves when we get into a bad place. He's able to do that. How? Through his lifestyle of worship. And so I want us to take the rest of our time this morning looking at the passion of the psalmist. And I want us to see a couple very important things here in these first couple of verses of Psalm 42. Notice, first of all, huh, that beyond anything else, the psalmist here isn't saying, God, I want power and I want prestige and I want position and I want more wealth and I want more stuff and, and I want all these things. No, no. What is the one Desire of the psalmist's heart, he has only one God. God. Notice what he says, as a deer, and he's using something that he would be very familiar with, he has seen those thirsty deer that have not been around water for a while, and when they finally get to a water source, man, they can't help but just start lapping it up, and it's just running all over their mouth and everywhere because they don't even take time to do it, you know, gently and and, and all of that. They just want to get the water in. And he says, just like that deer is so thirsty, that it is longing for that water. He says, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, for the living God. Amen. That's where worship starts. It starts with our heart. It starts with our personal desire for God above anyone or anything else. not about songs it's bigger than that it's bigger than any expression of worship because you and I can express worship outwardly and externally to God and still have a heart that truly does not burn for God what did Jesus say to those around him one day he said they honor me with their lips but their heart is what far from me God isn't looking for all the externals first. First, he's looking for a heart that burns for him like the psalmist's heart burns for God. The externals will take care of itself. You you light the heart of a Christian on fire for God, and they won't, can't wait to come to the house of God and worship him and sing songs of celebration and exaltation. They can't wait to give him thanksgiving and adoration and blessing throughout the rest of their week because their heart burns and longs and thirsts for God. Amen. And if I could say that's one of the things that is missing so much, I think, in the church today in general, is that we can fill our churches and fill our seats and fill our pews. But where's the heart of God's people for God? I love what he says when he says, when will I be able to go and appear in God's presence? And we'll get to that in just a moment. But for this psalmist... God's presence, and we've sung about it today. God's presence was, that's, that's all he desired. That, that's all he, that was enough for him. And, and David even says that in Psalm, I think, 73. David says, your presence is all I need, God. Is that true of us? Is that truly our heart's desire is that we thirst and long for God and his presence in our life and experiencing his presence and being with him more than anything else? Or is it just like (laughs) drive-by? Just like many churches today, and even churches now have gotten to the point where you literally do the drive-through thing. You know, we do that in our churches now. Let's drive in, let's check the box off. We've worshiped God and heard a, a little message today, and let's move on with our lives. Instead of realizing that what we're doing right now is so precious, maybe we just want to stay here and not leave. Maybe we don't want to, that that what we've got planned next isn't near as precious that that we wouldn't cherish near as much as just being here with God and with his people and the house of God and we don't want to leave. Because God, we know you're here. And it doesn't get any better than that, God. Isn't that what Moses exclaimed to God? Let's recall that story. Moses is up on the mountain getting instructions from God about worship. The people of God are in the valley and they're sinning and rebelling. And so while Moses is up there meeting with God, God basically says to Moses, I'm done. I'll send my angel ahead of you all And my angel will take you all to the promised land, but I'm not going. I'm not going with you. And Moses, I mean, you you can just hear the emotion from Moses' words to God. The great intercessor. He says to God, God, if your presence does not go with us, then don't take us from here. Because to Moses, what good is the promised land without God? God is the promised land. And so often, even as God followers, we love the gifts of God more than the giver. We love the blessings of God more than the one who brings the blessings. We enjoy all of the things that God gives us more than we do the one who's giving them and bestowing them. And Moses said, no, no, no. I don't want the promised land without you, God. If you don't go, I don't want to go. I just want you, God, because you'll be what makes and your presence will be what makes the promised land so great. And the same thing is true with heaven. You know, we get, we get it even as Christians caught up with, oh, I wonder what heaven's going to look like and be like and sound like and all of these things. And basically the book of Revelation gives us a little insight into it, but the main thing the book of Revelation teaches us about heaven is God is there and we will be with him as his people and we will see his faith. Isn't that enough? Amen. That's what makes heaven heaven. That's what makes glory glorious, if you will, is the glory of God and the presence of God. And that's the desire of the psalmist. He says, God, more than anything else, I want you. Don't you see that same heart of worship reflected in the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians? When he says, I count all these other things in my life liabilities except for the one thing. I just want it. My aim in life is just to know you, to experience you, the fellowship of your sufferings, the the, the resurrection. I I just want you, God. That's why Paul went on to say, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. One thing, God. One thing. You. Not, Not all the stuff around you, not all the stuff connected with you. You, God, if I have you, then I've got everything. I've got all need. It all can be found within you. I thirst for you, God. I long for you, God. That's where true worship starts, in the heart of every one of us. Do we have that heart? And here's the thing. Maybe you already have that heart that burns for God like that. And could I encourage you to just keep asking God to keep that fire burning like that? But maybe there's someone here today that says, that's not where my heart's at. Could I encourage you to ask God to ignite that burn for him starting today? That, that you would leave here with that kind of heart that just burns and longs for God and that you miss God when you're not with him? I and mean, you miss him. You, you love him so much, and you love being with him, and you love being in his presence, that you can't wait till you get back to just you and God again, and being with him and being in his presence. Isn't that the way true love is? If you truly love someone? You can't wait to be with them, and when you're apart from them, you can't wait to be back together with them. Then where's the love of God's people for God whenever the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength? Do we truly love God? Do we have that heart's desire? But it doesn't end there. Because don't miss the context of all this, too. Yes, it's important that we personally have that burn for God and that longing and that thirst for God. But notice something here. This is written by one of the temple worship team members. And he's also saying it's not just a matter of me experiencing, God, your presence on a daily basis when I'm not able to be in the temple and not with God's people. He says, does your people not realize the privilege it is to be in your house and to worship you? And do they not understand, God, that when God's people come together that he especially manifests himself in a very special way like no other time? Do they not get that, God? Because why wouldn't they burn not only to be in you and in your presence but also to be in the house of God and experience the presence of God like that? Wouldn't they have that same desire, God? Which is why he says, verse 2, when will I be able to go back and appear in your presence? I can't eat. I weep all day long. Notice verse 4. You know, memories can be something that are pleasant and they can also be something that are painful. Here, at this time in his life, the memory that he was having of being in the house of God and on his way to the house of God was a painful memory because he was cut off at this time. And notice what he says. I was once walking along with the great throng to the temple of God, shouting and giving thanks along with the crowd as we celebrated the holy festival. A couple things. Notice something as I go back to last week's message. Worship doesn't start once we get to the house of God. Worship starts outside the house of God and just continues on in. You see, their practice in the Old Testament was they would meet somewhere. Before they ever got to the house of God, they would meet somewhere, a meeting place. And they would all meet there and then they would walk to the house of God together. And as they walked, they worshiped. So that worship didn't start when they got to the house of God. Worship started before they got to the house of God. And their worship of God in the house of God was just a continuation of their worship outside of the house of God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You see, our worship as God's people, when we come together, is only going to be as effective as our worship outside of this place. And that God is hoping that you and I will just be worshiping him all the time so that when we come in here, we're just continuing our worship, but we're now doing it together. Together. And that it's important for us. I mean, I thought to myself as I was contemplating and considering this message today, how much you and I, especially as American Christians, take for granted. How many Christians around the world would love to have an auditorium like we have to be able to worship God in every day, and they don't? I think of places I've been, like Pastor Olachea's church, which is a wonderful place in Mexicali, but they certainly don't have the stuff that we have here. And yet, can I tell you, on days that it's 100 degrees in Mexicali and the sweat is pouring off of them, that church is filled. They don't care how hot it is or whatever. Why? Because they have a burn for God that they're not going to let heat or a little discomfort or a little travel or a little of this get in the way of being there. How many Christians today around the world don't even have the freedom to be able to do what we're doing here? They would love to be with their brothers and sisters in Christ in a place like this and lifting up worship songs and hearing the word of God, but they can't because if they did, they'd probably be murdered or put in prison. And yet we take being able to do this on a weekly basis like, uh, we go into what I call voluntary exile of God's house. We could be here, but there's so many other things that are more important, and pretty soon than the house of God and being in the house of God is not that big of a deal. So that then when times come where I have to miss, then it's even more time away from the house of God. I even thought about how many Christians would love to be able to be in the house of God today, and maybe they're so ill and sick, maybe they're laid up in the hospital, and like this Person, they, so would, they would give anything to get it out of that hospital bed and feel well enough to come here and be a part of this, but they can't. And yet you and I, who have the health and strength sometimes, don't realize the precious privilege we have of being in God's presence in his house amongst his people. Amen. Not the psalmist. I guarantee you the first moment that he was released from whatever was holding him up there, he was making a beeline to Jerusalem and a beeline to the temple. He couldn't wait to get back there. Again, not just to be in God's presence personally, but to experience the the special manifestation of God's presence when God is moving and working and being amongst his people when we come together. Because, folks, there's nothing that can replicate what God does amongst his people in a physical place that God has set aside for himself. And please hear my heart when I say this. I love the fact that at a church like ours, we are able to do things like video and podcasting of the services so that those who can't be here for whatever reason can get the information and that God's Spirit can use that and, and, and encourage them through the message and the information that they get. But please understand what my heart is saying here. You can't replicate the presence of God's Spirit in this room over technology. Amen. You can't do it. You can't replicate or duplicate the moving of God's Spirit in people's hearts that you and I can be a part of by actually being here. You can't do that over technology. It is a blessing. And I'm glad that there are people all over the world that listen to our services and are encouraged in some way. But, folks, it does not take the place of actually being here when we can be here. Because as I've said, God very clearly teaches in his word. When my people are willing to come out of their homes and make it a priority to come to my house that I have separated for worship of myself with their brothers and sisters in Christ, I will be there in a special way that I am not like any other way at any other time. I will visit them in a unique way unprecedented way at times like that and I think to myself oh that we not only had that longing and thirsting for God but that we had that same desire and put the same value and priority on being in the house of God as well because desire Our heart's desire is at the heart of true worship. Worship starts and really ends with our heart. It's all about the heart. It's not about the songs that we sing or any of the expressions of worship that we do externally. That all will take care of itself if you have an individual whose heart is burning and on fire for God. That's what God's looking for. And I'll just say this. I want to be part of a church that has a heart for God. I'm so glad that I pastor and I'm part of a church that people want to have a head for God. I, I love the fact that you want to know God's word and you want you know, doctrine and you want teaching and you want information. I love that too. I think you know that. But I have learned and been taught by God over the last several years that there's more of worship of Him that goes beyond the head and it also involves the heart. And there's a lot of Christians that have a head for God, but we about the heart. And I realize there can be those that have a heart for God and don't balance it out with the head. God's looking for both. And yes, I want to make sure that we worship God in truth and that we do it accurately, but I also want to be part of a church where we long for God and we thirst for God and we love God and that there's emotion and that there's feeling. I want that too. or else all the information can just become some cold information that never really affects the heart. Wasn't that the case with the religious leaders of Israel? They had a lot of the right information up in their head, but their heart was far from God. If they'd have just taken the information that they had and melded it with a heart for God, nothing would have stopped them. And that's what I want to see at the Oasis Church. I want to see a group of people that not only have a desire to fill their head with God's word and be saturated with his truth, but also have a heart that beats and pumps and longs and thirsts for God every moment of the day. You bring those two things together and you've created a group of people that are unstoppable. Unstoppable. Could we take our hearts and our heads and could we stand please? And could we take these next moments together and lift both our heads and our hearts and our entire being up to the Lord as we spend some time worshiping him this morning. God, we pray that, God, we would have a longing and a thirsting for you. That we would want you, God, more than anyone or anything else in our life we would burn for you, God. That our hearts would be on fire for you, God. And that, God, we would also value corporate worship like never before. That we would realize, God, that what you do when we're together is such a Privilege and such a special time and so unique and so unprecedented that, God, we also not only long for you, but we long to be with each other as we worship you together. As we experience your presence, not just individually, but we experience your presence and your moving and your reality corporately and as a community of believers. God, may we realize that if we begin to develop a lifestyle of worship, it will enable us to negotiate the rugged terrain of life. And that just like the psalmist, when we are hearing the taunts of your enemies and when we are feeling trapped and maybe discouraged and depressed, we have enough within us because we have been worshiping you and building up that inner strength that inner spiritual tenacity and stamina that we can challenge our self-talk and challenge our thoughts and challenge our discouragement and challenge our depression and not stay in the land of depression, but we can land in the land of hope. God, would you give that to your people today as we reach out to you, God, as we long for you, These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.